What's up, everybody? Hello and welcome to this very special third anniversary episode of the VK Bros. Episode number 159 with Jason and Alex Von Cannell. Uh, we got a very exciting show for you today. We did mention earlier in the year that 2023 we thought would be the year of lawsuits. And that is definitely coming to fruition. There's literally lawsuits all over the joint and some really key important ones that uh, we're going to draw your attention to today. But first... It is our third birthday, and I think it's really important that we reflect on the last three years of doing the show and the key things that we've learned out of it. So, Alex, what do, what have you? What are your key takeaways from the last three years of doing a podcast? Thank you for that nice little lead up. It this came from a point of tension prior to the start of recording this show, where <laughs> Jason's entire plan. I said, I, I don't want to talk about any of that stuff on the plan. I wanted to talk about this. It's like, <laughs> why did you just tell me right now? <laughs> But there's a couple of reasons why. Uh, number one, like three years, 158 episodes, like that is a proper commitment. And I want to like commend you, Jason, on, on like sticking through this for three years. Three years is a long, long time. Um, you know, there's probably Netflix series that have run less than what we have. Yeah, absolutely. And... You know, it might not sound like much. You know, you don't, you, the viewers only see an hour to, from an hour to an hour twenty uh, once a week. But you know, it probably takes Jason two or three hours to do all the editing and everything after, plus all the prep work during the week to collate all the data and put everything together. Yeah, uh, it's just organizing the time to like for our cycles to align. Yeah, to, so we can actually do the show. You know, juggling around your business and my kids, like it's yep. been pretty pretty tricky at some points sickness as well and like it is i think it's very impressive and and, and no one else no one's gonna show us any gratitude so i thought i would at least <laughs> to congratulate us on the fact that we have done it week in week out for three years yeah we have done this show so uh congratulations yeah yeah congratulations to you too man i, I agree it's it's really interesting because you know, podcasts really have become very, very popular in the last sort of three to five years. Um, and to the point where there's a, a podcast for, for everything now, right? The, the statistics show that there's about four million different podcasts in the world. So it's where we're just a drop in the ocean. But out of those four million podcasts, only 400,000 of them actually upload a new episode every 90 days. So that just goes to show that's only 10% of those shows actually continuously create new content. And that's every 90 days. So for us to be able to stick at it for three years, you know, week in, week out. And look, we've, we've had some blips where, you know, mainly me with like sickness and stuff with the kids that I've had to opt out. But we found a way to put a show together. Um, you know, when you've gone away on, on like your boys weekend, like I put something together. Like we always make sure we get something out there. Mm-hmm. Um and we like just to, to throw it out we, we've done this for free the entire everything mm. that we do well it's at a cost it's at a cost to us that's right like we've got to pay for the hosting we've got to I mean our time is money too like all of the research that we do like we're literally doing this because number one we think it's important mm-hmm. but we're trying to add value to the world you know yep. that's what that's what our goal is that's what our intention is and that's why, you know, we we made the decisions we did around, say, like, you know, with YouTube. Like, one of the frustrating things, I guess, to celebrate today, let's celebrate it, is our 
uh, complete lack of growth over the last three yeah. years. And that's been greatly to do with the censorship industrial complex between all the major platforms. Um, it's funny, I was literally having a conversation with a friend of mine that I don't talk to very often this morning uh, because she'd put a post up about getting involved in the democratic process because there's some like deforestation things that she she's sure. particularly interested in. And I sent her a message. I said, look, bravo to you. Like, I think most people don't get engaged in the democratic process because they don't realize how much power we actually have. Um, everyone sits around waiting for a hero to come along and do everything for them. So kudos to you for, for taking a stand and, and, and doing something about it. And I said on the show, like one of the things that we've been talking about on the podcast for a long time is these, you know, mis- and disinformation laws that the government's trying to pass. And you've still got an opportunity to put a submission in. You won't by the time this goes live because that, that ends on Sunday. Um, so that yesterday for, for your listeners. Um, and then she was like, oh, do you have a podcast? Yeah. Yeah. Like, this is a friend of mine who I've got on social media who doesn't even know I have a podcast that we've had for three years. And that just shows you how, how strong the censorship is. And we would never have even known that had we not done the podcast. Well, we talked about it during the week and the throttling of... Like, that's one of the stresses that's come about this show is yeah. that we had organic growth through YouTube and it was it was going... It was heading in the right direction. Yeah. And then it got so bad that we had to leave. And now, like, Jason can put a nice little clip together and post it up and have four people look at it. Yeah. And, like, that's not... You know, I could put a picture of a kookaburra up yep. and I'll get 150. That's right. It's it's not normal. And it's very clear that our social media accounts got put on a list during COVID because mm. we posted about COVID. And maybe I naively thought that we were such a small channel that we wouldn't have mattered. But no, they obviously care about everything because they just run an algo over the top of everything that you post. And it's wild. Like um, every social media platform wants you to do short form video because that's the thing that gets the most engagement and keeps the eyes on, on the platforms. So when we post all these clips up and it takes so much time to put these clips together, um, you can clearly see through the views. And I think I've mentioned this on the show before through the views that you get on say Facebook reels, d- depending on the content of the video, we'll either get 2,000 views if it's something completely innocuous like that video of me releasing the snake that I found in the house got 2,800 views almost overnight anything that's politically motivated or you know anything about COVID three views and a lot of those views are me scrolling past it on my own social media page so yeah it's been it's frustrating but at the end of the day the one of the main reasons why I I am doing this now is for my kids like uh, this is a time capsule for me and at a, a time down the line when they're old enough to care, which will probably be by the time they're about 30 years old, I'll be able to look back on this point and go, look, this is your old man and your uncle uh, trying to figure out everything that was going on in real time in one of the most stressful uh, psychological operations in history. Yeah. And we took a stand and tried to do the right thing, even to our own detriment. So that's the thing yes. I'm most proud of in the last three years. Me too. It's nice to be able to keep receipts. Mm. And we've said this on the show before, but I want to say it again. To people out there that are trying to justify what happened in the past by just saying, oh, that's all we knew at the time. The lesson that you're supposed to learn is, well, then you got your thought patterns wrong. Yeah. Okay, so now that you know that you got your thought patterns wrong, 
you have to make sure that that never happens again. Absolutely. And how are you going to make that make sure it doesn't happen again? Yeah. So changing your thought patterns is very difficult. Yeah. But that's one of the reasons why one of the things I wanted to talk about this morning was we are about to enter a phase that's going to be, I think, more fearful than what we have had in the past. Mm-hmm. I'll use markets as an example. The, the, the financial markets have tanked in the last two days, have absolutely tanked. Now, I was looking at the, like Bitcoin's just gone into the 26s. I think it actually nudged into the $25,000 US range right. down from like, you know, it's been sitting at 29 and a half and 30 for the past three or four weeks. Mm-hmm. But everything's in the red. Everything's in the red. Every metric that I'm, I'm looking at is in the red. But the fear and greed index still shows neutral. Right. I feel like my prediction from the start of the year is starting to take shape now. Mm-hmm. I was talking to a friend yesterday, so frustrated that people are still spending like crazy, mm. and yet there was no macroeconomic factor that said that they should. Yeah. And then I, I follow Unusual Whales on Twitter, and he's talking about how house prices have gone up in mm-hmm. America delinquent payments on mortgages have gone down like it's just the opposite it's like bizarro world yeah like it it shouldn't be happening it mm. it like it's like the house of cards should have fallen over five years ago and it yeah. just got bigger but i think now we're starting to enter the reality stage i think everything's going to come home to roost mm. now but this is what this is really really important from a psychological standpoint I think life's about to get hard. Yep. All right? Now, fear does not make good... Or does not make a person make great decisions Mm -hmm. about life. But now is the most important time to get your house in order, to get your head right, to get your mind right. I've got a friend that's going through a rough patch right now. Yep. Okay? And unfortunately, he see... uh, uh, Like... He seems to be fueling his mind and body with what I would say is negative, uh, negative stuff. Mm-hmm. Probably not. He he is a very disciplined person by nature, and yet he's lost all that discipline now to go through this rough patch, right? Because he thinks that that's what's going to uh, help him through this this mm. patch. We all know it won't. Yeah. Okay. Just now, makes your hole harder to climb out of. Yeah, absolutely. Now we're all in a situation, and 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 a lot of people's financial situation, I think, is going to get harder. And I don't want it to be. I don't want this to build fear. I want this to be an opportunity. I want this to be an opportunity to get everything in your life in order right now, mm-hmm. so you can not only weather this storm that's coming, but you can thrive in it. Yep. All right. You can seek out the opportunities, and there will be a lot of opportunities. You know, a couple of buy orders that I put in. You know, I, I put a vast order in at eighty-eight dollars mm. when it was at ninety-two, thinking it's never going to happen. Yeah, it's, the, it's there up. this morning. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Um, there will be opportunities, but it's all about building now. It's all about building, yeah. and and I want to talk about that fear as well because I, was, I had a conversation with a young guy yesterday, and I was talking about these businesses of mine that I'm setting up, and I love. I wish I could talk more about these two tech companies that I've started, but I. Unfortunately, one has basically stopped until I get an investor. So if there's anyone sitting on a pile of cash that wants to invest in something really exciting, reach out. Mm-hmm. The other one is definitely in the works. There's just not a lot I can do with it because it's being built. But I noticed the more scary, more risky, 
decisions I've made, I would say the more lonely I've been in that space. Yeah. Now, at first, that feels scary because you're like, no, I can't even talk to anyone about these problems that I have because no one else has these problems. Yeah, because you're on an island out on your own. Yeah. But then I also thought, well, that's the reason why it's going to work. Mm-hmm. Because when everyone's at sort of this 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 base here, this level here, and you're operating out here, mm. like that island is yours. That's right. And I just I just want people to realize the scariest stuff is often the best stuff for your character. Yeah, and I think like this is pertinent to business, to the economic times that we're going through at the moment, but it's also very pertinent um, based on, you know, COVID and the pandemic and everything else that's gone on around that. When people have fear, it's generally fear of the unknown because they don't mm-hmm. understand whatever it is that is causing that fear response in them. So the answer is not to just be scared and then allow your decisions to be dictated to you by people who claim to be experts in whatever the field is. The answer is to educate yourself. Yeah. And so what you're talking about, how I agree with you. I think that we're about to go through um, some even tougher times, especially economically. And a lot of people's like budgets are going to be stretched. Um, a lot of people are going to have to be, be forced to make some tough decisions over the next 12 months. And I'm sure so many people already have, you know? Yep. Um, but the answer to that is to go and educate yourself and how the financial system works and mm-hmm. actually put yourself in a position because, you know, you're right. There's always opportunity in chaos. And when the stock market tanks, that sounds like a bad thing, but it's a great thing if you've got the spare cash aside and you're ready to buy in the dip. You know, that's how the big institutions make their money is they buy yeah. the dip. And oftentimes they do through pump and dumps, they cause the dip themselves and then they profit off it, you know? Yeah. So you've got the opportunity to do those things too. But if you don't understand how to do those things, the first thing you need to do is go and get educated. And the best thing about podcasts and the internet is all the information is out there. And the one thing that I want to, the message that I want to give absolutely every single person who listens to this show, and you guys need to tell all of your friends and all of your family the exact same thing. You guys are all way smarter than you give yourself credit for. Or what you're told. Yeah, exactly. So when we were told like during COVID that you can't do your own research because you're not a scientist, that's bullshit. Anyone with basic comprehension skills can read a scientific study. You won't understand all of it, but you'll get the gist of it. And guess what? The more of them you read, the easier it becomes to read the next one. Okay? Go and educate yourself on these things. You can literally do anything. Like you can, you can learn anything. It is all out there waiting for you. All you need to do is have the discipline to go and do it. I've had this thought before is like, if, if we gave a phone to our great, 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 great grandfather and told him this device contains all the world's information mm-hmm. at the, at, at your fingertips, I wonder what they'd do with it. Yeah. Yeah, And like we've said on the show before, I, I feel like we're in a time where we have all this access that, and now we're being convinced not to trust our instincts, not to use it, not to, not to uh, you know, all these misinformation bills and stuff that are coming through mm. to try and curb people's... And um, yeah, and they, they absolutely are. Like, this is not something that I was going to bring up on the show, but I did see something recently about how 
Google is changing their terms and conditions on search where they will basically be um, excluding any non-syndicated media from Google search. Like, that's all The internet is... What... The reason why the internet exploded in popularity and prosperity for the world is because it was it was a frontier of freedom. Yeah. Where anyone's ideas could be shown to the world. Yeah. And now we're trying to put it back in the bottle. That's right. And the best thing about Pandora's box is once it's open, it's very, very difficult to close. Now they're trying, yeah. but we need to make sure that they can't close it. Because you're right, it's the best thing about the internet is it was the democratization of the world because mm. people all over the globe could share stories. Uh, and that's really, really, really important. So we need to mm. hold on to that. Uh, happy birthday too for yesterday. Oh, thanks, dude. It's, the, it's funny for me because um, <laughs> I'm not a big birthday guy. You know I'm not a birthday guy. But the first ever show of the RDO podcast, as it was called at the time, dropped on my birthday. So I was actually more excited leading into this week for the third birthday of the show than I was for my 35th birthday. Did you open the present that I gave you? Yeah, I did. Hence the the headphones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Now, so just so everyone knows, Jason did say that he doesn't care about birthdays and he really doesn't. He actually really, really doesn't. Mm. Hence the reason why I didn't spend any money on for him on his birthday. That's a smart investment decision. I gave him a gym bag, uh, gym lifting straps, Mm -hmm. uh, which I know he won't use. No. Uh, uh, Headphones, which he's using right now, but they were an old set that I pulled out of my tech drawer. Mm -hmm. And all that... Oh, was there something else in that in that bag? There was a hat. Like there was a, oh, there was and a, a hat. Yeah. Now, all, all the stuff was branded what? G-Shock. Because I just bought myself <laughs> a, new, a new G-Shock. <laughs> and that came with it. Now, I, there, there is a story behind this watch. So mm-hmm. for your birthday, I bought myself a watch. Mm-hmm. But it was actually to commemorate a bunch of things. So I, I have a big collection of watches. I've probably got 20 or 30 watches. But all the watches I buy... Uh, are a are a placeholder in time for me, mm-hmm. so I can look at any of the watches and they represent something that happened at the time. Okay, this one in particular. So this uh, for for audio viewers, uh, I'm showing it on the screen. It is a it's a homage to their very first square shaped digital Casio G Shock watch. But can you see can you see the all the lines on the strap? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They are the measurements, the original drawings of how, the size of how it was going to be put together. Right. Okay. And when I saw it, because I've been trying to get a G-Shock special edition for ages, I keep missing out. But when th- this one really spoke to me, because to me, this is like the artwork on it is a representation of like where my life's at at the moment, where we're building a podcast, mm-hmm. I'm building three businesses. We're building. I'm building a product that has never been seen before, and this was, you know, twenty or thirty years in the making to get to to, uh, to this point. Yep. So that forever for me will be when I look at that. I'll remember, you know, three years into a podcast. Yeah, the moment. I remember in time. starting a business. Yeah, yeah, that's really cool. That's really cool. And then I, yeah, because they got this big. Um, like welcome pack with all this stuff. I gave it a, gave it to Jason. And this is this is probably the lesson out of this stuff too, because I was uh, I was talk- look after yourself first. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, I was talking to my wife yesterday about like I was talking about about the show, and she was talking to me about a 
someone who came and did a presentation at her work who ran a clothing business and had been running it for like uh, 14 years, I think it was. Right. And in the last 12 months, they just absolutely caught fire. And I said, isn't, isn't that interesting? Because you hear that story over and over and over again. All of these overnight sensations yeah. have been in the background grinding for like a decade prior to. But do you know the difference? Do you know how they get there? Because this happens 100% of the time. Hmm. They just they don't rock stop. up every day and do yeah, it. Yeah, they do the work. Every day. They do the work every single day. Yeah. And this We is... could have quit. When when we got kicked off YouTube, yeah. we like that could have been it for us. We could have just said, uh, all right, it's too hard. It's no, like it's like screaming into the ether, I think we've exactly you know, we've we've labeled it. Yep. But no, we just look for the next opportunity and, and keep building because we do think it's a value. Yeah, and we understand too that the the pendulum always swings back the other way. And something mm. will happen in the future to swing the pendulum back the other way. We have faith in that. Uh, we're also going to try to play our part in that, whatever that you know that little part can be. And you know, like again, just to reflect on the podcast a little bit, one of my one of my proudest episodes, really in hindsight, was the one I did uh, the solo episode of "Should I Vaccinate My Kids with the COVID nineteen Vaccines?" Because that video got a lot more views than all the other videos that we had around that similar time. And I got very little feedback on it. But the people that I got feedback from were people who I knew didn't listen to the show every week. And I had a lot of people reach out and said, hey, uh, thank you for the show. I'm vaccinated myself, I, but I didn't know what to do with the kids. And because of listening to it, I haven't vaccinated the kids. Mm-hmm. And if you look back in hindsight, that was probably a really good decision. You yeah, know, being that you were uh, potentially exposing them to a massive risk for literally no reward because COVID doesn't yeah. affect kids at all. So, yeah. you know, if if we, if I stopped one kid from having an adverse event, I think that it's been worth it. And yeah. um, look, if you guys like for for a, we've got a lot of long time viewers, we've got a lot of you who've been with us, maybe not from the start, but maybe from halfway through or whatever. And anyone who's recently joined the show, thank you for being here. Like we mm. really do appreciate it. Um, if you want to help us in any way, shape, or form, word of mouth is the only way that we're actually going to be able to build an audience in this current censorship climate that we've got. So the only way we're going to be able to build an audience is if you guys, you know, do the things which help push us out into the Rumble algorithm, like liking, leaving a comment below, even just, just wish us a happy birthday if you want to, um, liking the posts, or just if the, a particular episode comes up that you think that has something important and that you think a friend of yours needs to know, just flick in the episode link and just go, hey, just go and check this thing out. Because I think now that COVID's a little bit less, um, you know, the fear's sort of gone down a little bit. People can make a few more rational decisions now looking back. And I think reflecting on it's really, really important because it's the only way... It, you're, the only way to prevent these things from happening again is to learn from past mistakes. Mm. Um, do you have anything more you want to add before we get into the rest of the show? No, I should put a Bitcoin link if you want to. Like, you can send us money too if you want to support us. Send us Bitcoin. Mm. Yeah, I'll give you the Bitcoin address and just send it to us. It's getting cheap now. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. buy some while it's cheap. I know that I've made some people some money. Yeah, I know sure. that I've made some people some money. Yeah. So, hook a brothers up. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's let's get into it. So the way I want to start the show out. So like I said, we we said that 2023 would be the year of the lawsuits, and they have begun. 
and it's for a whole myriad of, of different subjects which have all been relevant over the last three years. But just to run through a couple of the things which uh, I've got my eye on, and then there's two in particular that we're going to sort of deep dive into a little bit. So in Australia, the big lawsuits going on at the moment, obviously the COVID vaccine class action run by Dr. Melissa McCann. Um, again, uh, on that note, I, I donated last week and I suggest that you do too. Uh, it's probably one of the most important legal cases in Australian history, yeah. not just for the victims and to give them the compensation support that they deserve because they did the right thing and have now been gaslit by the government for the last two years. But for our rights moving forward like there needs to be a, a negative ruling against the powers that be to make sure that next time something like this happens they don't make the same mistake so did you see that queensland health uh job that was posted on seek and did you see that uh, at the end of it it said um oh, you yeah. must abide by any future vaccine, future vaccine mandates. mandates yeah so they're coming yeah. again they're yeah. coming again and yeah, plan for it absolutely and, and so that that thing is not about that's not about uh that's got nothing to do with safety of course not safety. that's got everything to do with like do not come like do not jump at this job unless you are willing to do literally anything unless you're willing to let us inject you with something and and the whole point of that is because all they want is an ultra compliant workforce and this was the biggest problem that you saw with mandates, particularly in the police sectors over the over COVID. Uh, the the good police that were going to stand up for rights, and one of the things in the police charter or whatever it's called, is you have the right to refuse an unlawful order from a superior. Like that's part of yeah. the, the police like code of conduct. But if you brought in those mandates, the people who are actually going to stand up against those unlawful orders, they left. So all yeah. you're left with is is a workforce that's compliant that's going to do what they're told. So yeah. this class action extremely important. Um, one of the other big stories I went into the other week about those uh, Western Australian Aboriginal cultural heritage laws. I'm really glad I did a massive deep dive into that because they've just repealed those laws. <laughs> they're gone. Okay. Now, but in saying that, if people hadn't done the deep dive into it and made enough of a stink about it, they never would yeah. have repealed the laws. So yep, for sure. this shows you, you've got the opportunity in a democracy to actually make some difference. So That's what a democracy is supposed to be. It's that's supposed right. to be power of the people. They're supposed to be public servants. They're supposed to be representing the masses. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so you can make a difference. But yeah, Aboriginal cultural heritage laws have all been repealed. Apparently they're going to have another crack at them, but... They might actually, uh, I reckon they'll just go back to the old system and try to forget that it ever happened. Um, this one is interesting. So the upper house in, in the Victorian parliament has actually just voted in favour of a Commonwealth Games sele select committee to investigate the cancellation of the Commonwealth Games, which is a surprising one. Because I didn't know, I didn't think, because Labor basically has control along with as long as the Greens do what they're told. I was surprised to see that get so much support. Um, but the biggest thing about it is the committee's actually going to be headed up by David Limbrick. So, Ooh, right? So David, Yeah, David Limbrick, for anyone who doesn't know, he was one of the freedom fighters during COVID because yeah, he's, he's, a boy. he's a member of, um, well, they were called the Liberal Democrats. I think they've just had a name change to the Libertarian Party or something like that. Which they, I prefer. Yeah, they don't want to be confused with the Liberal Party. Um, so this is going to be very, very interesting. And the makeup of that select committee is like three Labor, three Greens, 
Um, Limbrick is the chair, a One Nation and a UAP. And so basically, if even if Labor... Oh, and... No, sorry. Three Labor, three Liberal, a Green, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, what the makeup is, is even if the Labor and the Greens collude like they do on everything, they still can't get their own way. So they would actually have to convince someone from a minor party or the Liberals to actually support them on whatever right. happens out of this. So that's actually a, a bit of a So win. it's up to the Greens? What's that, sorry? So it's up to the Greens? No, it's not. No, normally it's up to the Greens. But they even if the Greens completely collude with Labor, they still don't have enough votes. But if Liberal, Labor and the Greens collude? Yeah, of course, which which could potentially happen because yep. there, there is no opposition. But still, I think that's a bit of a win. But don't you find it interesting how quickly they set up an investigation into the Commonwealth Games cancellation when we still haven't had our COVID Royal Commission that Al- Albanese promised us 16 months ago? Shit. Um, now, the big court case from Australia, which I am going to deep dive into, but a little bit later on, is I Cook Foods is finally having yeah. their day in court against the Department of Health. And I'm going to deep dive into that, so we'll come back to it. Um. In the US at the moment, there is a few big court cases too. So I mentioned, obviously, there's the Missouri versus Biden case. That's about online censorship, and that's still ongoing. Um, There was the special counsel appointed to the Hunter Biden case, and that's got all sorts of curveballs being thrown through it with things like sweetheart plea deals, which almost went through that got cancelled at the last minute, etc., etc., um, there's some dodginess around the actual special counsel himself, David Weiss, who's been appointed because a FBI whistleblower has said that he was directly um, uh, getting in the way of their investigations of Hunter Biden. So as much as it looks like a special counsel was the right decision to make to essentially give him all the powers that he needed to conduct this investigation, it also sort of looks like a way of hiding his investigation from public eyes because he's got sure. all the power now. So I'll have to wait and see what happens there. Um, Our old friend, SBF, Sam Bakeman-Fried of the FTX scandal, who has been on house arrest uh, pending his trial, he's just been sent back to an actual prism uh, for witness tampering. Uh, Something interesting on that, I got an email from FTX only this morning. Right, okay. Asking me to update my details to get my KYC verified. Now, I've I've been hearing from FTX very regularly through the lawyers yeah okay because i had funds with ftx but i wonder if i had heard rumors that they were trying to spin the company back up again yeah because it is um, an administration yes but i just thought are you going to go from a bankrupt company from the biggest thief in the world to oh yeah yeah put more customer details in yeah that's right yeah uh, doesn't yeah. seem right to me no it doesn't so i would just sit on that and yeah also i would not really give them the get out if they've been if they have breached the know your customer laws then yeah, they can cop that fine too you know mm. um but yeah very interesting so that he he's actually been sent back to an actual proper prison uh a lot of people apparently wonder- he hates coffeezilla yeah, yeah, he does. Because uh, Coffeezilla did expose him. And if you if you want to look at any of these scams, like I mentioned the, the Logan Paul scam last week too, because actually if you want to give me a present, try to start my beef up with Logan Paul. <laughs> um, but go on Coffeezilla's page. He's got some really, really interesting yeah, investigations yeah. on there. Um, but the big one, and this is the, the thing I want to go to first, and we'll come back to iCook Foods later, is... There are a group of doctors who have sued the FDA in America over statements the FDA made about our old friend, 
ivermectin. So if you can pull up the video um, on YouTube, Alex, and I'll give you a bit of a lead in. So what this video is, this is actually a court recording from the court case. And the two, the people that you'll be hearing speaking, um, the person asking the questions is the judge of the case. And the person answering the questions is actually the lawyer for the FDA. And this goes for a little while, but there's two really big key points that come out of this uh, this section of it. And I'll put, excuse me, I'll put the link in the show notes. So if any of you want to actually go through and listen to the whole thing, because there's a lot of interesting tidbits in this, I suggest you do so. But yeah, if you can go to about, I think it's 17 minutes and 35 seconds. Yep. And, and just begin. Good morning, and may it please the court. Ashley Honnold for the United States. This case is about informational statements made by the U.S. Food and Drug Administration to inform consumers about the dangers of using certain drugs. FDA made these statements in response to multiple reports of consumers being hospitalized after self-medicating with ivermectin intended for horses which is available for purchase over the counter without the need for a prescription. FDA did not purport to require anyone to do anything or to prohibit anyone from doing What about when it said, no, stop it? Why isn't that a command? So that's the judge. That seems to me it's, that's the, if if you were in English class, they would say that was a command, stop it. Um, That is different than we're providing helpful information. Your Honor, the language that the FDA used in these tweets were merely quips. And I don't think that these- Uh, How often does a health authority during a global pandemic use quips? Quips. Mm -hmm. Quips. So so just again, just to uh, reiterate for people, this all goes back to the horse pace drama around Joe Rogan and the demonization of ivermectin at that time where you know full well the FDA came out and said, you're not a horse, don't take horse medicine. They called it horse horse medicine. But they were calling ivermectin horse medicine. They weren't saying don't take the horse version of ivermectin. They are saying don't take horse medicine because you're not a horse. Um, just, just um, con- do, does, do horses have paracetamol? They do, funnily enough. Do horses drink water? Uh, they do, yeah, don't drink oh, horse you, water. So you drink horse water, do you? <laughs> you filthy animal. Whips change the substance of FDA's statements. As, as plaintiffs can see- Is that a command? Stop it? The tweets about the horse ivermectin were intended to advise consumers that they should not use ivermectin intended for animals and that this could be unsafe. I'm sorry, can you answer the question, please? Is that a command? Stop it. Your Honor, in- just let me think. <laughs> Some contexts, those words could be construed as a, a command, but in this context, where FDA was simply using these words in the context of a quippy tweet meant to share its informational article, those statements do not rise to the level of a command. Um, plaintiffs concede that it was proper for FDA to identify what ivermectin is FDA authorized for. It's FDA approved for certain conditions like skin conditions or parasites, and it's not FDA approved for treating COVID. 
Uh, is Ozempic FDA approved for weight loss? It's not. And it's interesting that you've picked that up. So, so Alex has not listened to this before. Uh, I'm really impressed with the questions that the judge continues to ask because they're clearly educated on this. And it's, you know, after the letdowns of a lot of the lawsuits that we've seen over the last few years because of lack of scientific understanding, th- these guys seem to be on top of what's going on. Um, what and- other? Yeah, sorry, you'll, you'll, you'll listen to the, to the next run of questions, yeah. What other drugs does the FDA provide information on that says that it's not, um, not, not approved for other uses? Sure. FDA makes these kinds of statements all the time, and I'm happy to give the court a few examples. Um, so Please do. So for example, FDA can warn the public that drugs like opioids are highly addictive and can be dangerous. Although there are FDA authorized uses for opioids, there are also dangerous uses and FDA has to be able to tell the public in its scientific view that some uses are dangerous. Does it have a scientific view? Has it been through any type of scientific test? Juicy. Mm-hmm. Or notice and comment or any sort of doctor review at the FDA that would be a basis for these comments? Yes, Your Honor, the FDA does have a scientific view. Um, It's charged by Congress with ensuring that medical drugs are safe and effective, and FDA did conduct... um, You know what I hear safe and effective now? I think it's dangerous and doesn't work. Yeah, it's... They've ruined the meaning of those words. Yeah, yeah scientific analysis as to ivermectin but there's what did it do about ivermectin that before um issuing these types of informational warnings waited for joe rogan to say something online good about it i don't think there's anything in the record that specifically tracks fda's process Um, but for fda to share information with the public that in its scientific view, there are dangers with using certain drugs as evidenced by multiple reports of consumers being hospitalized after self-medicating with ivermectin intended for horses. Does, FDA, does the FDA have any authority, legal authority, to regulate off-label uses of prescription drugs, which is what this would be? What gives them that authority? Your Honor, FDA has multiple overlapping sources of authority that I'm happy to walk through. That gives FDA authority to convey information to the public. But here, FDA was not regulating the off-label use of drugs. These statements are not regulations. They have no legal consequences. They don't prohibit doctors from prescribing ivermectin to treat COVID or for any other Unlike our TGA, which did that here. Which I have just resent you through into Telegram the link to the TGA statement on ivermectin because this is so. Just before you continue on, because I do want to listen to more of this because there's something very important that comes up. A do you want me to open that other article? Uh, yeah, you bring bring it up. Um, but the reason why this is very interesting for me from an Australian perspective is. The, so I, I've looked through a lot of this court case. The FDA is literally trying to claim that they never instructed doctors or hospitals or, um, or providers like pharmacies that 
uh, you could not use ivermectin to treat COVID-19 off-label. And there is a lot of examples of where, like, so what they're trying to say now is, like I said before, they're trying to claim that they were telling people not to use the horse version. They're not trying to claim that they were trying to tell people not to use ivermectin at all. But we clearly know what the impact of these statements were. And uh, Can I say this? Oh, uh, so I think America has handled this in a much, from a legal frame, like a, a legal point of view, I think America's been a lot smarter than what Australia has been. Absolutely. Because we said it all along, like there's subtext to all the messaging that they put out. It yep. was like, the stuff wasn't a law. It was like, do you know what I mean? Like they, they were very aloof when it came to the words, that the verbiage they used. Yep. Whereas Australia, and I think, I, I'm guessing, I don't know what this article is that you've told me to put up, but I'm guessing this is like the TGA going like, like not reading the subtext and going, yeah, now nah, ban it. Exactly. Let's ban it. Yeah. Let's ban it so we could, you know, so we can make sure this uh, emergency use authorization doesn't get. Um, let's say the quiet bit out loud. Yeah. So, so this is this is interesting. So this is from the tenth of September, twenty twenty one. New restrictions on prescribing ivermectin for COVID nineteen. So just keep in your mind what the FDA lawyer is currently doing in this court case is trying to pretend that the FDA never told doctors that they can't prescribe ivermectin for the off-label treatment of COVID-19, okay? So they're trying to walk that back. Meanwhile, this is the um, this was the statement from our TGA, the Therapeutic Goods Administration. So today, the TGA, acting on the advice of the Advisory Committee for Medicine Scheduling, has placed new restrictions on the prescribing of oral ivermectin. Doesn't say horse ivermectin, it says oral ivermectin. General practitioners are now only able to prescribe ivermectin for TGA-approved conditions, indications, such as scabies and certain parasitic infections. Uh, certain specialists, including infectious disease physicians, dermatologists, gastroenterologists, hepatologists, uh, liver disease specialists, will be permitted to prescribe ivermectin for other unapproved indications if they believe it is appropriate for a particular patient. These changes have been introduced because of concerns with the prescribing of oral ivermectin for the claimed prevention or treatment of COVID-19. Ivermectin is not approved for use in COVID-19 in Australia or in other developed countries, and its use by the general public for COVID-19 is currently strongly discouraged by the National COVID Clinical Evidence Task Force, the World Health Organization, and the US Food and Drug okay. Administration, or FDA for short. Um, we, we don't need to go through and read, read all of it. Can we... Is this, the, is this the article that has the three categories? I, I believe so. So, okay, I'll continue on. Um, yeah, sorry. Or maybe... Oh, yeah, it does. I don't think it's on it. No, it does. It does. So it says, uh, uh, these changes have been introduced because of concerns with the prescribing of oral ivermectin for the claim prevention. Oh, sorry, I already read that bit. Firstly, there are a number of significant public health risks associated with taking ivermectin in an attempt to prevent COVID-19 infection rather than getting vaccinated. Individuals who believe that they are protected from infection by taking ivermectin may choose not to get tested or to seek medical care if they experience symptoms. Doing so has the, the potential to spread the risk of COVID-19 infection throughout the community. Secondly... Hold on. Does having a vaccine uh, stop you from transmitting? Uh, at the 10th of September 2021, they claimed it did. <laughs> Secondly, the doses... Hold on, just before... Hold on, before you go on. This this is the crazy... I've told people this story yeah. and they think I'm mental. I know. When, when I said that they banned a drug because Joe Rogan said it worked, that the same week that he released that, they said that these three reasons were the reasons why that they banned it. They said, no, no, there must be more to the story that that can't be true. Yeah, but again, 
It's so just... first, the first one was people that take it might think that they're not sick. Yeah, or that they're protected um, when they're not because that, that, so, or they may not get vaccinated. Yeah. Uh, secondly, the doses of ivermectin that are being advocated for use in unreliable social media posts and other sources for COVID-19 are significantly higher than those approved and found safe for scabies or parasite treatment. These higher doses can be associated with serious adverse events, uh, effects, including severe nausea, vomiting, dizziness, neurological effects such as dizziness, seizures, and coma. <laughs> those side effects aren't as bad as the ones on the vaccine box. Yeah, and also you need to remember too... Um, so that's their second reason because you might get the dosage wrong if you're getting it from a social media post. But this this statement was was around restrictions on GPs being able to prescribe yeah. the medication. And and uh, the same could be said for literally anything. If that's you right. if like uh, wasn't there some Italian guy that got vaccinated thirty five times? Yeah, yeah. Right. So like, I'm sure that didn't he come dead. from a <laughs> he dead now. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, finally, there has been a three to four-fold increased dispensing. I like that. Three to four. Yeah. Which one is it, man? Yeah. Like, you're supposed to be like a regular... Th- it's a number. What's yeah. the number? Uh, three to four-fold increased dispensing of ivermectin's prescriptions in recent months, leading to national and local shortages for those who need the medicine for scabies and parasite infections. It is believed that this is due to recent prescribing and dispensing for unapproved uses such as COVID-19. Such shortages can disproportionately impact vulnerable people, including those in Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities. Now, on that note, number one, ivermectin is cheap to produce and Mm. India can make you millions of doses in a day if you want it. Number two, why do you think there was a three to four fold increase in dispensing of ivermectin? Maybe because the doctors thought it would treat their patients? Yeah. So, so this is the big, well, the first big interesting part out of this FDA court case that I want to draw your attention to, because the FDA is trying to weasel out of ever saying that they told doctors they weren't allowed to prescribe it, but our TGA literally banned doctors from prescribing it. So they can't get out of it. That's still on their website. That's where that document's from. Yeah, that was a live link. That was not a screenshot. That's that right. That's a live, a live link, link from the TGA's website. Now, <laughs> here's the next thing, though, and this is where it gets even wilder for the TGA. What did the TGA approve the vaccines based off of? Because the FDA said so. We did none yeah. of our own testing in Australia. Nothing. Yeah. So yeah. the FDA told Australia, yeah, the vaccines are all good, so you should approve them. Now, why did they have to get rid of ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine? Because... To get the approval in America, they had to go through the emergency use authorization pathway. And the only way that you can get emergency use authorization for an unapproved medication is if there is no other previously approved medication that can already treat the target disease. So FDA demonizes ivermectin without really doing it, but the whole point was to get the vaccines approved. The TGA, who did none of its own testing, approved the vaccines on our provisional pathway for a period of two years for the 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 indication of the provisional approval was to prevent infection from SARS-CoV-2, which clearly didn't happen because in 2022, when 95% of our population was at least double-dose vaxxed, we had 10 million cases of COVID. And then they've just gone ahead and approved it, like given it full approval last month, even though it didn't meet the indication. Now, I don't want... I, I don't know if you're winding up to this, but... Haven't they just re-allowed ivermectin to be prescribed by doctors in Australia? Yeah. And 
you predicted this. You said this, I think after, like in the episode where we spoke about this article originally in September 21, where once the once the COVID vaccine has its formalised approval, then... Yeah, then you, can, then you can throw ivermectin back out in the streets again because it you don't need any of these emergency pathways anymore. Yeah, and isn't that like when did uh, the Pfizer vaccine just get approved? July, mid-July. <laughs> right. Like cool. it's... Yeah, and this is like like you were saying, Alex, because I had a conversation with someone about this stuff yesterday too, and I said to them, "I know that all of this information I'm telling you is new, and you think I'm crazy, yeah. but it's documented. There's a paper it's trail there. for all of these things. But the the only difference between me and you is I went and looked for it, and you haven't. You've just yeah. you've just taken in anything that you've you've received from the media, which are only telling you one side of the story, like." All you need to do, I, I, I don't want you to listen to red pill uh, videos on Rumble all day either. If you do, that's great, but check their working because it's just as much grift as much grifting on the other side of things. Now we have learned in that three years, we got some significant pushback that was about the way that we were sourcing our data. Mm-hmm. Now. In our defence, it was very hard to get good data back then. Absolutely. The studies weren't published. That was one of the toughest parts. Right. But from that, like we, we took that feedback on board and all the data now, like, like this video that we're playing now is on the US Court of Appeals of the Fifth Circuit. Yeah. And official that's, YouTube. And that um, notice we just showed us from the Therapeutic Goods Administration website. Like how much so more we're official not, can you get? We're not pulling up Alex Jones' video on blah or like... Even are, though he's been right the whole time. Yeah, <laughs> we should just we show Alex using, Jones' clips. We are using the data that's been, been provided by the government lobby. That's right. And that's that's how little respect they have for humans' intelligence, whereas they know that they can park the truth on their website mm. and no one's going to read that's it. That's right. But that's the thing. And they They're can just right, stay on the though. media. They'll tell you on the media the complete opposite yeah. and everyone's going to believe it. And they are right to have that level of disrespect because, like, no we one reads it. it. We yeah. prove it every day. Um, so yeah, so so that's the first. Do you want to go back to that video? I do want to go back to it, but that's the first key point out of that video is the FDA is walking back that they pretending that they never before told doctors or what what they can prescribe or what they can't. Very but, similar to our government saying that um, they never coerced anyone to getting the vaccine. Yes, very very similar, but at least uh, like the TGA in this regard is kind of dead to rights. And and the wildest thing about the TGA, like I said before is they approved the vaccines based on what the FDA said. They did none of their own testing and they banned ivermectin when the FDA told them to as well. Because that's clearly what possibly what go wrong? Yeah. All right, continue. Perfect. Quite to the contrary, there are three instances I'd like to point the court to in the record that show that FDA explicitly recognizes that doctors do have the authority to prescribe ivermectin to treat COVID. What is the answer to Judge Clement's question? What authority do they have to either recommend or not recommend off-label uses? To say that they weren't doing that is not the answer. There are multiple sources of authority for FDA's statements here. So FDA is charged by Congress with protecting the public health and ensuring that regulated medical products are safe and effective. This is so we can say give recommendations about off-label use based because it's charged by Congress with health. 
Yes, Your Honor, FDA has inherent authority to further its mission by communicating information to the public about safe uses of drugs. And just to share another example, last fall there was a TikTok challenge that encouraged consumers to cook their chicken in NyQuil, in a, in a cough syrup. An FDA put out statement saying, this is not an FDA authorized use of the drug. This is an off-label use and it's not safe. FDA has to be able to make these kinds of statements, these kinds of public safety statements and under plaintiff's theory. That was a bad example. Yeah, it was, but <laughs> they're, they're reaching here. He would not be able to communicate to the public in this way. Is the F I think we all knew that NyQuil, like, Raw chicken cooked in knuckle was <laughs> not a good idea. I think we knew that. Didn't we? <laughs> I don't know, man. <laughs> Did you see it? Green. 95% of the country's vax, bro. They're eating knuckle chicken too. <laughs> FDA ever responsible for making these public statements? Can they, if they make statements that are false or this is grossly leading or wrong, can they ever be held responsible or are they allowed to make statements, whatever statements they want, uh, without any um, oversight or um, ability to, to, to come against the FDA? Are they immunized for the, all of their statements? The FDA is not immunized. Well, I thought that we're here for sovereign immunity. So, um, so um, can they be held responsible when they make statements, assuming arguendo that statements are grossly misleading, incomplete, factually, scientifically wrong, um, with intent or negligently or grossly negligently or reckless, can they be held responsible or liable? Your Honor, it's not the role of the courts to police the statements of an agency charged by Congress with making sure that drugs are safe and effective. So is the answer no, they can't be held responsible? What is the answer to the question, please? Can they be held responsible if they make grossly incorrect statements, either due to negligence, recklessness, intentional behavior, can they be held responsible or not under the law? I'm not asking what's morally right or good. I'm asking what does the law say? The law does not say that it's the role of the courts to police the scientific statements of the FDA. So is the Maybe answer no, they can't be held liable in court, no matter whether their statements are false or true? Is that the answer? If that's the answer, then just say it. Your Honor, that's the answer if the statements are merely communicating information to the public. So no matter what the information is, and no matter whether it's false or it leads to even deaths, and I'm not saying this case is that, I'm saying hypothetically, they cannot be held liable for if they're giving information out. That's correct. Because so they're allowed to by Congress, but Congress, but someone has immunized them from being liable. Is it Congress? Uh, if the FDA is merely making informational statements, they do have sovereign immunity. 
there is no waiver of sovereign immunity under the ultra various doctrine or the APA. <clears throat> there can be circumstances if FDA is issuing formal regulations. These regulations may be challenged under the APA, but that's a different circumstance than what we have here. It would be extraordinary for this court to conclude that FDA needs explicit statutory authority merely to speak to the public. So you can you can stop it there. Public all the time. So so in other words, what she's saying is, uh, if the FDA makes a regulatory decision, then they can be held liable for it. But if the FDA is merely providing information to the public via quippy tweets, they have sovereign immunity and they can <laughs> never be held liable for that. I wonder which technique they're going to use then in future. Well, exactly. Like how many yeah. regulatory decisions have they handed down compared to quippy tweets? I'd love to see the stats on it. And just to sort of add a little bit more padding to this, I retweeted, um, there's an Australian doctor who's currently getting screwed over by, um, by APRA. And a lot of it is in is to do with ivermectin, funnily enough. Oh, yeah, this is wild. So she posted this, I think it was yesterday, a list of approximately 50 articles online from between the 1st of September 2021 and the 3rd of September 2021, remembering the TGA order came out on the 10th of September, the story of one patient with ivermectin overdose and attached to this doctor, Dr. Gunja. And she's got the links, 50 different news stories. Now, this case of apparent ivermectin overdose was false. Yeah. But there were 50 news articles online about an ivermectin overdose in a three-day period just after Joe Rogan took it. And then the TGA banned it seven days later. Do you remember the do you remember the picture, the first picture that was used for the overdose? I don't. I don't remember. So the picture was in America of a line outside a hospital. Because remember they That's said right. yeah. they said that there's too many people being admitted to hospital due to horse pace. Yeah, they said there was, there was gunshot out, victims that were dying in the waiting room because there's too much space being taken up by ivermectin overdoses. And the photo was like a twelve month old shooting picture it was an old photo yeah so in summary it sounds crazy because it fucking is crazy it is crazy and and but it's real life this is this has happened like our between governments unelected medical bureaucrats Mm -hmm. and the media they fucked us now do you want to do you want to know why can you open up the other the other link that i sent you about a new story that's just dropped recently as well so so everyone asks why why did covid happen why did it happen and there's all like the real red pillars are all about like it's a depopulation thing from the elites and blah 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 i'm not i'm not there what i'm convinced is it's all about money and it's always ever been about money mm-hmm. so here's a news article that that dropped on the 14th of august a few days ago America's top COVID experts cashed in on the pandemic to the tune of $325 million. Can you zoom in slightly, please? Perfect. Uh, The United States' top COVID experts during the pandemic cashed in to the tune of hundreds of millions of dollars during uh, during the pandemic, great writing, even as they were recommending measures that including lockdowns. Records have unveiled that Dr. Francis Collins, previously the National Institutes of Health Director, and Dr. Tony Fauci, former uh, National Institutes of Allergies and Infectious Diseases Director, made substantial profits from royalty checks during the COVID pandemic. 
These documents prove that the former leaders of the NIAI, uh, National Institutes of Health and the NIAID benefited financially from the COVID pandemic. Uh, Dr. Collins and Dr. Fauci together got a reported 58 royalty payments between them for allowing companies to use their COVID-19 vaccines. These vaccines were developed with funding from US taxpayers by private pharmaceutical firms. So again, just a reminder, the mRNA platform was invented using taxpayer-funded research. The National Institutes of Health then licensed that mRNA uh, technology to Moderna to assist them in creating these vaccines. Moderna licensed it to Pfizer. That's where they got it from. So the taxpayers funded the technology and these companies privatized the profits. However, National Institutes of Health is a um, partial owner of the Moderna vaccine, which is why Moderna has to pay the National Institutes of Health royalty checks. Both Fauci and Collins profited from consistent royalties throughout the pandemic. Open the Books, a transparency organization, recently released over 1,500 pages of these unredacted records. The documents detail the various companies that compensated Fauci and Collins for the technology. The majority of these records were accessed through a largely effective use of the Freedom of Information Act. Now, that open the books, they've been relentless. They do FOI after FOI after FOI, and they keep they were getting turned away from pillar to post for the whole last three years, but they just kept on going. Same as us. They just kept going. They didn't take no for an answer, and now we've got this information. The documents detail, oh sorry, the NIH resisted these FOI requests, but in the end, Open the Book secured most of the records. Altogether, 56,000 transactions were recorded, totaling over $325 million. However, specific payment details and related licenses were not mentioned. Uh, Senator Rand Paul confronted Dr. Anthony Fauci on the royalty payments, which had been kept secret from the American public. So if you scroll down. Uh, in quotes, the NIH continues to refuse to voluntarily divulge the name of scientists who receive royalties and from which companies over the period of time from 2010 to 2016. 27,000 royalty payments were paid to 1,800 NIH employees, Paul said. We know that, not because you told us, but because we forced you to tell us through the Freedom of Information Act. Over $193 million was given to these 1,800 employees, uh, Paul added. Can you tell me that you have not received a royalty from any entity that you ever oversaw the distribution of money in research grants? Uh, I'm not going to read through the whole exchange. What Fauci goes on to say is that not only is it completely legal for members of the NIH to receive royalty payments from pharmaceutical companies, but in the laws, they are not even legally obligated to divulge those payments to anyone, including the IRS. Yes, they don't wild. even have to pay tax on these royalty payments. So that's godlike, godlike. Absolutely, that's the best rules of all. Absolutely. So is it much like our TGA, where the only fifty percent, fifty percent of the board members of the TGA said that they received financial payments directly from pharmaceutical companies, and the other fifty percent chose not just to didn't say. answer the question? Yeah. So yeah. it's a hundred percent did. Yeah, yeah, it's the yeah. same thing. So, so this is the thing, right? Why, why did the pandemic happen? It is all about money. The National Institutes of Health is at the top of this in America. So the American health system is right at the top because the National Institutes of Health created the mRNA technology, sold, uh, licensed it to the vaccine manufacturers. At the same time, Anthony Fauci is the one who controls the purse strings of every research grant in America. So not only were they funding the gain-of-function research via EcoHealth Alliance to the Wuhan Institute of Virology to create 
the virus itself, but also they were able to censor every single um, scientist or medical professional in the country because if you spoke against Fauci, he would cut your funding off. So yeah. that's why there was no pushback, especially early on. That's what the trust the science. That's what we were thinking about the whole time. Trust the science was, no, no, the selected scientists. That's right. Because there were heaps of scientists on the other side. You just weren't allowed to speak to them. That's right. Now, here's the next thing. Um, I can't remember the exact statistic, but it was somewhere in the vicinity of 80% of patented medicines were due to come off patent mm. in 2025. So you've just seen the absolute gravy train of money that National Institute of Health scientists were receiving as royalty payments over the last 10 years. You've just seen that. That gravy train was about to stop in 2025 or 80% of it was about to go away. So they needed to approve a brand new technology that they could then patent for the next 20 years to keep the gravy train rolling. Mm-hmm. Enter the pandemic. That's, that's what happened. And like I, I firmly believe that our politicians over here, I think they were tricked at the beginning. I think that the, you know, the health experts from the US reached out and said, look, the COVID pandemic, it's killing everyone, but we've got a medicine on its way because they knew it was coming, right? We got a medicine on the way. Uh, we're going to get everyone vaccinated. Everyone's going to be okay. You guys will be the heroes. And look, to help, to help facilitate things, we'll, we'll grease your palms on the way through. Everyone's going to get paid, but you guys are going to be looked at as heroes. And so that's why our politicians, through their national cabinet meetings, which are exempt from Freedom of Information Act requests, so we can't see what they spoke about in these meetings, and we've never seen the original purchase contracts, which probably show their commission structures in the back of them. That's why there was so much gusto to get everyone vaccinated in our country, because it it came down from on high, right? That's why we ordered 225 million vaccines when they told everyone you only had to take two, but we ordered 10 for every man, woman, and child in the country straight off the bat because they were told from up high, this is what they were going to do and it was going to solve all the problems. And then six months later, when all the data started to show all the cracks with the first thing was the breakthrough infections, people who were vaccinated who were getting infected, which they told you they wouldn't happen. They they started censoring those things. Then the adverse events started showing up. And then all of a sudden, human nature took over. And when these people realized that they had made a mistake, what happens in human nature all the time is they just try to cover it up. Mm-hmm. And it's just and that's why everyone's quit. That's why everyone in the media's quit. That's yep. why everyone in the pol- anyone who made those decisions has quit. Mm-hmm. They've all left. There's only a couple of people that are still that are still in the game, but I, by this time next year they'll be gone. Yeah, yeah. There's no way they're going to get away with it. Exactly. And and so this is the thing. So one of the things about the last three years, which has really stood out for me, is there's that like overwhelming sense of dread that things were really bad and they were getting worse and then you're getting these really bad court decisions which weren't supporting what we what we needed to happen and you were like have they just got everything sewn up is there no light at the end of the tunnel and it actually reminds me of my favorite batman movie which was with um heath ledger as the joker is that the dark knight yeah well there's three of them okay the first one with heath ledger in it he that movie does the best job at when things are really really bad then they step it up and it gets even worse and you just get this feeling of dread and that's sort of one of the feelings that i've had a lot in the last three years but the night is always darkest before the dawn and we're starting to see the dawn the fact that those judges are so educated that they're able to ask those questions 
yeah. is poles apart from what we experienced with Kasim versus Absolutely. Hazard in back in 2021 or 2022 yeah. sorry like we we are starting to see the light at the end of the, the time. fact that the best defense is like uh you know the Pfizer people from last week at Pfizer we believe like they're just going to bang yeah. on that safe safe and effective thing the, they've got no basis they've got no science that that's right the FDA's fucked. best defense was literally it was a joke it was yeah, a yeah. joke we're just yeah. kidding yeah it was a quip it was a quip it was, it was a quippy a tweet hey I'm just conscious of time alright um, so on, on that note too let's let's move on quickly to um, I want to give you a bit of an update on um, essentially Sluggate even though it's kind of not Sluggate anymore Yes, yes, yes. While you do that, I need to find something for it. That's cool. So, um, I cook foods. Bit of a precursor. We spoke about I cook foods, foods years ago on the show. But um, essentially, what the story of this is for any new listeners, in the most briefest of terms, I cook foods is a food preparation company from Victoria, or was, which had been running for a couple of decades. And they supplied meals to aged care facilities. They were the biggest company in Victoria that did that. And about just over 10 years ago, there was a rival company created in Victoria called Community Chef, which just happened to be um, have investors in it, such as Daniel Andrews and Anthony Albanese. And they were doing the same job. And in, I think it was, two, it was either 2017 or 2019, might have been 19, there was a big scandal because um, a slug was found in the iCook Foods facility around a time when a an elderly woman at an aged care facility passed away and the story was that she had contracted listeria from an iCook Foods product and and subsequently passed away overnight iCook Foods was shut down um, and Brett Sutton the chief health officer of Victoria who also did all of the covid fuckery so he actually appeared in the media and told everyone about this story before they had even received the official cause of death from the lady. Not only that, um, they shut down iCook Foods with no notice, and then whilst they were shut down, Community Chef reached out to every... Um, every Supplier. Well, they're the supplier, but every company that, that iCook Foods supplied meals to and basically said iCook's been shut down for a listeria outbreak, but we can supply your meals moving forward. Now, the the cooks, Ian Cook is, is the owner and his son, they have been trying to get into court for years. And we, we were following this and they, they kept getting pushed back and pushed back and pushed back. And a lot of the pushback is just you, the government using taxpayer-funded lawyers to, to create diversions. So the actual slug element of this has been removed from the case. So the the I, I cook foods is no longer um, trying to sue over the uh, supposed planted slug, mm. uh, but they are suing the Department of Health for the wrongful closure of their business. And I listened to a lot of this uh, case live. So boring, but yeah. Brett Sutton was was a, a witness and was called to the stand to answer some questions. And there were some really key points that I took out of it. And it's pretty wild. So here's, here's just some of the things. Um, when he signed the order to close iCook Foods, he referenced a certain section of the Food Act. 
And there's three different, there's like an A, a B, and a C. And it, he referenced the B bit and was questioned as to why he referenced that bit in particular, because either A or C could have actually been more relevant. And he admitted, Brett Sutton admitted on the stand that the first time he had ever read that section of the Food Act was the day he signed the order. Right. So in other words, it appeared they were trying to look for a justification to sign the order. So yeah, yeah, yeah. someone was mad scrambling. So the first time he'd ever read it was the day he signed the order. Secondly, he'd not seen the death certificate or had an official cause of death before he signed the order. Thirdly, um, they had also not... There was no record from the hospital of what foods this lady had eaten. Yeah. So there was yeah. not even a, a confirmed... Um, she it's not even been confirmed that she'd eaten an iCook Foods meal. Yeah. Right? He was also asked how many other times he had been called in to handle listeria outbreaks, because they do happen from time to time. And it was really interesting because he was very evasive because he, he basically goes, oh, look, um, never in my capacity as chief health officer have I ever been called in to, to handle one of these before. And the lawyer's like, okay, in any other capacity? Like when you weren't chief health officer? Uh, no. So Brett Sutton has never been in charge of a listeria outbreak before, except this one time, which just so happens to remove the chief competitor from his mate Daniel Andrews' business of community chef. And is this the one that was uh, siphoning $8 million a year? Yeah. Out? Yeah. 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 And, and then it's now defunct. Yeah, it's defunct. But, th- but this is the thing too. So the, the motive behind all of this is essentially they were trying to remove iCook Foods as a competitor because then Community Chef would have been given essential business status, which is basically guarantees its lifetime taxpayer funding. And these guys are just pulling money out of the business. Um, that's conjecture, allegedly, purportedly. Yeah. Piece of e, purportedly. Yeah. Um, now, there were some more interesting things that came out of it. Uh there was an email chain where there were some emails sent back and forth at like 10 p.m. at night. And then one of Brett Sutton's emails, it appeared to have been sent at 11 o'clock the next day. However, the email that replied to it was sent at like 10.08 the night before. See where I'm going here? Yeah. So essentially it looks like Brett Sutton actually doctored his own emails to make it look like he had sent his reply the next day because the reply that he had sent was based on information he couldn't have possibly had until the next day. Um, Which I found very, very interesting. Ah, there was only one case of listeria ever found from 17,000 sandwiches that were supplied to that... Uh, aged care home is it an outbreak yeah one what's not an outbreak then <laughs> yeah yep um and then i got a few more things here from voice victoria so so she put a couple of posts up so there was a report document on the screen being discussed it says rough cliff cliff notes and it says in quotes the listeria levels detected in the sandwiches are below the limit as specified under the food standard code and as such are considered to not pose a risk to consumers including those who are considered vulnerable so that was the report they got back, but that was after they'd already shut the business down and stolen yeah. all of their clients. Uh, 
So they did a sort of a brief summary too. So it's a brief layman's summary of what seems to be happening in the case. Brett Sutton argues he had a certain power, which he does have, and used it in the public interest, even if he lacked information, and that's enough. The Cooks are arguing that he failed to use evidence and acted recklessly and failed to consider the severity of the impact of, uh, to their business from his actions. Amongst all this arguing that's come out, the food tested didn't exceed the legal health risk levels of listeria. The Department of Health knew there was a chance she ate unknown foods before being in hospital, and there is no evidence that shows she ate iCooked food and she never died from listeria. Oh my god. So this is, this is like, COVID Go aside, Ian. COVID aside, right? Brett Sutton is the same guy who furthered all of the COVID narrative bullshit. He's been implicated in another clear case of corruption to to abuse his power in public office and him running like a weasel. But I love this clip because not only is it weasel run, so they'll they'll always have this. The elbows are so high, yeah. and. I understand that like runner, proper runners are supposed to land on the balls of their feet, but you can use your heel too. Yeah, <laughs> and 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 I like it. How it's just got this zoom, kind of a zoom into the ball patch on the back. Yeah, know. yeah, yeah. But but this is the thing. Like Brett Sutton abused the power of his public office to remove a competitor from Community Chef because his mates were invested in it and were siphoning money out of the taxpayer. So this is this is this happened before COVID. Then COVID kicked off. And then he towed the company line again. And he was on TV every day. And everyone remembers, you know, sex symbol Brett Sutton took his whole shirt off to get his vaccine done on, on TV. Like, what a fucking douchebag. But this is the thing. This is the thing that we've been waiting for. We've been waiting yeah. for the lawsuits to start because you can only hide for so long. And once the, the truth f- will always prevail. That's right. And, a- and once the fog of war has, has moved on a little bit and everyone gets that like you know post wank clarity when you can actually think again yeah and no one's like all the emotions taken out of it and you just go back and you look at the paper trail and you go uh this is not what you guys pretended it was mm. and i want this to be a moment for people because alex and i've discussed before our moment to not trust everything the government said happened after september 11 and the weapons of mass destruction scandal and the war on terror because we were fully engaged in it when it happened. We mm-hmm. thought they were fully justified to go after these bad people overseas and that weapons of mass destruction were an existential threat for all of us. And then we found out years after it mattered that there was all bullshit and it was just a false pretext to go to war. And that was our wake-up moment where we were like, we, we need to actually research these things before we get tricked into them again. And I hope that COVID is that moment for the next generation of people so that when the next scam comes around, which is already here, climate change and trans rights and Ukraine war, and like there's a lot of psyops going on all at the same time, like anything that tweaks your emotional fancy and gets you feeling a certain way from the media or the government, take a step back and go, who benefits from me feeling this way? That's, That's what you have to start with. That's very well said. All right. Should we leave it there? Yeah, I'm going to go. I've got, I've got three hours worth of work to do in two hours. <laughs> Fair enough. Look, thanks very much for joining us, guys. Again, please wish us a happy birthday in the comments below. And we're so stoked to have you guys keep coming back every week because it makes the show worthwhile. Appreciate it. Thank you. you very much. Cheers, guys. Take it easy. Bye.